morning, everybody. Great to see you. Welcome to Bible Boot Camp. Is anybody excited about Bible Boot Camp? Well, I'm off. Wait a minute. I'm off center here. There we go. You know, I've been talking to all kinds of people about boot camps, about, you know, the military boot camps that you can go to, those exercise boot camps that you can do. And I've got all kinds of incredible stories, fun stories about uh, these boot camps. But you know, the one word that people have responded the most to me in telling me about these boot camps is challenge. It challenges us or it challenged me. It pushed me to the limit. It just challenged me. And so this is why we're using this word challenge uh, so much and why you're going to hear me saying it because we're hoping that it's going to be a challenge to you. We're hoping that it's going to push you a little bit and this whole boot camp thing is going to be somewhat of a challenge to you. Now, the only way it's going to be fun and effective is if you participate and you participate in two ways with us. Way number one, Derek has already talked about it, is consider signing up right in the back at the end of the day, signing up for this New Testament challenge. We went through the uh, next step thing uh, recently this past summer. We were talking to people about the next steps for spiritual growth. I think, you know, the number one thing that I heard back from people was, I want to understand the Bible. I want to know more of the Bible. I want to read more of it. Like, I've only read little bits and pieces here and there. So we thought, wow, that's a big deal. You know, Old Testament, New Testament, that's a lot to read. We thought, let's start small. Let's start with something that maybe we can actually accomplish. Let's start with the New Testament. Can we just get our brains wrapped around that much? So 10 weeks, four chapters a day, six days a week. I mean, you can't go wrong. That's pretty easy, right? So it's right here on the bookmark. And we're going to do this battle the sexes thing because competition is always good, right? And so we're going to track this deal. We're going to track it between men and women. And on the average, who's winning the race? You know, who's going to do it? And for you guys, I just want to say this to every single woman that we've mentioned this to, that we're going to track it and go through this. Every single one of them has rolled their eyes and said, There's, the guys are going to fall off the wagon. They have no chance in the world. They're such slackers and other things that I can't tell you at this moment that they said about you. But that's the deal. So you can sign up in the back for this New Testament challenge. The bookmark, you know, keep this with you. That'll, that'll remind you that, that that's what we're doing today. All right, here's the second way you can participate. What we're going to do, like today, we're going we're gonna to cover topics. Today we're going to talk about the Bible, specifically the Bible, the belief about the Bible. And then later on we're going to cover topics like Jesus, what the belief is about Jesus, what the belief is about salvation, what the belief is about sin. All right, we're going to cover these topics. I think you got the picture. And on the first day that we cover a particular topic, like today, bam, we're going to shoot it out like a missile. Here's what the belief is. It's going, to be, it's going to be hard. It's going to be fast. It's going to be, bam, right to the point. And what we're hoping, like boot camp, some of you, some of you, if you go through boot camp, you're like all into it. You love boot camp, and it's great. You can't get enough of it. But there's a lot of people who despise boot camp, a lot of people who get really frustrated. Some of you have been through a military boot camp, and you were cursing your drill instructor all over the place and couldn't stand him and that kind of stuff. What we hope to stir up is a little emotion in you, please. We're hoping to get some response back to you, from you, because week number two, like the week after we throw the topic out, it's your questions that we're going to react to that's going to make up the following sermon. So in other words, what I'm saying to you is this. I'm going to need your questions. I need your questions. Either you got to email me, uh, like by tomorrow at the latest, write it down on a piece of paper every Sunday. The room, the art room, we're going to call it the discussion room, is going to be open. Five minutes after the service is over, I'm going to be in there. And please come in and, and give me your feedback. Because if you don't give me your feedback, there's no message the next week. And though that might appeal to some of you, 
This is not a good thing. So the best is going to be based on your feedback. Am I making sense? What I'm what I'm saying? Really, really want your feedback. Uh, so please consider uh, giving that. Please consider stopping by at the end. There will be time. Uh, this message, for those of you, this message is going to take 15, 20 minutes max for me to go through. So just so you can gauge in your brain. Uh, some of us think, you know, it's going to use me about 30 minutes. So you, in your mind, you're thinking, I start to wake up 25 minutes into it, get myself kind of awake and alert so I can walk out of the room. All right? You want to think about it, it's going to be more like 15 or 20. So you'll have time. You'll have an extra 10 or 15 minutes. You can stop by the discussion room and just unload your questions. Does that sound good? Okay. This is what we're going to do. Well, you know what? Let's stop and pray. Ask God, please help us as we go through this. Lord, we just thank you so much uh, for this day. A beautiful day outside. Favorite time of year for me, at least. And Lord, be with us. We're starting this boot camp, and it's going to be challenging. And, Lord, I pray that you would challenge us and stretch us and that we'd see things and understand things that maybe we never have before. And I ask this in Christ's name. Amen. All right. I'm going to give you eight quick hitters, eight fill-in-the-blanks about what we believe in. Let me say this. You might be saying, well, who, who's the we? The we is the mainstream Christian church for the past 2,000 years. That's who the we refers to in these statements. Okay? All right. Here we go. We believe the Bible is eternal. We believe the Bible is eternal because the Bible tells us that it is eternal. Psalm 119 simply says this, Your word, O Lord, is eternal. It's eternal. It's unlike any other book on the planet. It is eternal. It doesn't have a close second. God's word is eternal. Isaiah says this, it says, The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. This is what Jesus says about the Bible. He says, I tell you the truth. Until a heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. You know what Jesus Christ is saying there? He says, you stand a better chance of heaven ceasing to exist than you do of the Bible ceasing to exist. He's saying that heaven's going to be no more. It's going to vanish. It's going to be gone before the Bible will ever dis you know, be gone and disappear. That's what Jesus felt about the Bible about the scriptures. They are eternal. Heaven and earth will pass away today. The Bible, today the Bible is the best-selling book on the planet. I read this past week there was a Roman emperor who was so against the Bible that he decided, boom, he was going to get rid of it. He was going to make it his focus to eradicating the scriptures from the face of the earth. And so he set himself doing that, and when he felt he accomplished the task, he erected this monument in his honor that he had completely destroyed all copies of the scripture. Later on, when Constantine became emperor of Rome, and he proclaimed Rome is now a Christian empire, within three hours, 50 copies of the Bible were produced and made public. Voltaire, the French philosopher, hated the Bible, had no use for the Bible. We don't know all that goes on in his life and why he felt that way, but he thought it was completely useless. And he says, I think he said something like within, I don't know how many years of his death, that nobody would ever read the Bible anymore. It was obsolete. It was gone. Well, when he died, they sold his house. They sold it to a Bible society that turned it into a printing press where they actually printed Bibles in his house. But what I'm saying is, is the Bible declares itself, no matter what anybody says about it, it says of itself that it is eternal, it's unlike anything else, and that it's going to continue to go on. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing. We believe the Bible is inspired by God. We believe... The Bible is inspired by God. Second Timothy 3.16. All scripture is inspired by God. Greek word theonoustos. 
which means to be breathed by God. Actually, God breathed it out. That's what the word means. So all scripture is breathed by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It straightens us out and teaches us to do what is right. 2 Peter 1.21 says it this way, For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. What's that saying to us? It's saying to us that you didn't get a bunch of people in a room that say, you know, hey, let's do something. Let's write a Bible and tell everybody it's God's word and that they've got to follow it. What Peter is saying to us here is, is that people were moved by God to write the scriptures. They were moved and carried along by God to do this. And the Bible also proclaims to us that it is actually God speaking to us. Acts 4.25, it says, uh, You spoke by the Holy Spirit, by the mouth of your servant, our father David. Now, as you know, David wrote many of the Psalms. And so what it's saying is God was, it was God actually speaking through the many Psalms in Scripture that David penned. All right, because we believe the Bible was inspired by God, it leads us to our third point. Point number three is this. We believe the Bible is without error. We believe the Bible is without error. Jesus believed that. He said, your word is truth in John 17. He said in John 10, he says, Scripture is always true. Always true. We believe that in the original documents of Scripture that they were written, that they are without error, whether it's speaking about salvation, history, science, or geography, that the Bible is true and it is without error. I hope to get some excellent questions on this one here. What is this weekend? What are we celebrating this weekend? Columbus Day. What did Columbus ever do? What did he do? What did he do? He discovered America. How did Columbus discover America? You know, back in Columbus's day, everybody felt that the earth was flat. And they thought that Columbus sailing off into the horizon was going to do what? Sail off the edge of the earth. What was the thing that convinced Columbus to launch out in those ships and to risk life? He read in the Bible that the world was not flat, but it was a big circle. And he said, I'm going to sail out because I believe the Bible is true. And so he sailed out and he didn't sail off the edge of the earth. He actually sailed around the earth and he discovered, he discovered us right here in America today. That's Columbus. All right, next one. We believe the Bible is dangerous. Really believe this one. It's dangerous. The Bible is truth, but that does not mean we will understand or apply that truth in right or correct ways. This is what Jesus was saying in Matthew chapter 23 to a group of people who understood the Bible far better than you and I combined will ever understand the Bible. I've talked about these guys before. They had memorized the first five books of the Bible. If you offered me a million dollars to do that, I'd have to turn you down. I don't think I could ever do that. It would take me a thousand years to do it. These guys knew the Bible and they knew it very well. They just applied it very wrong. And sometimes people do that. He says to them, Woe to you, teachers of the law, Pharisees, hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when he becomes one, I love this last part, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. He wasn't too happy with these guys. He was, a little, he was a little upset. They knew the Bible. They just were applying it completely wrong. It's shocking that that happens, but it does. Just because people misuse the Bible doesn't mean that the Bible is faulty or wrong. Next one. We believe the Bible is alive. And we believe the Bible is actually a living 
thing, a living document, because that's what the Bible says about itself. Hebrews chapter 4. For the word of God is living and it is active. It is sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. It is alive. And not only is it alive when we reread it, it actually brings life to us. Ezekiel chapter 37. There's this wonderful story of God speaking to Ezekiel in that chapter 37 where Ezekiel has this vision of a whole valley and it's filled with dry, dusty, old bones. There's nothing but bones in there. And God says to Ezekiel, what do you see? And Ezekiel says, I see a bunch of bones. And God says, what are you going to do with it? He says, I have no clue. And God says, I want you I want you to get the Bible, and I want you just to start, bam, belting it out. Just over top the whole valley, just start preaching, you know, my word. Just read it. Just read it right out. And so he does. And so he starts just proclaiming the prophecy of God's word. And it says, this is really cool, it says, he heard a noise. He heard a noise. And it was a bone, you know, the, what's that old tune that we have? The, I don't know, the right rib. Yeah, that's it. The bone connected to the bone. Well, that whole thing is from Ezekiel 37. Thank you very much, Sandy. Uh, Bones started coming together. And before you knew it, this whole army of bones stands up. And then flesh comes on the bones. And the heartbeat comes in. And it's a whole army of living human beings. And it was all because of the Bible was being proclaimed out over top of this valley of dry bones. We believe the Bible is alive. We believe the Bible inspires. Not only is it inspired but it inspires people's lives. When it is read, when it is taught, it inspires people's lives. Let me give you the background in Luke chapter 24. The background is this. So Jesus was crucified. Then he was uh, resurrected on Easter Sunday morning, right? And his disciples are completely beside themselves. They have no idea what's going on. At this point in Luke 24, they don't know that he's been resurrected. All they know is that, you know, he was crucified, he was beaten, and he's gone. They can't figure out what's going on. And so a couple of them were on the road to Emmaus. It's another town outside of Jerusalem. And they're on their way there. And Jesus joins up with them, but they don't know it's him. He had some kind of, I don't know, divine costume party or something. I don't know what was going on. They could not recognize him whatsoever. And so he comes up alongside them. Their eyes are blind. They could not see that it was Jesus. They're walking along, and they look all downcast and, you know, not happy at all, these long faces. And Jesus says, hey, guys, what's wrong with you all? And he said, where have you been? Who are you? You don't know what's happened back in Jerusalem. You don't know about Jesus, the rabbi, the teacher that we followed and how he was beaten and how he was crucified. Where have you been? Living underneath a rock. And then Jesus says to them, look, don't you know the scriptures? And then it says that he begins to explain the scriptures to them. Now, later on, Jesus, he goes, he vanishes, disappears. And this is how they capture the moment of what took place. Luke 24, 32, it says, they said to each other, It felt like a burning fire in us when Jesus talked to us on the road and explained the scriptures to us. What's being said there? They were feeling hopeless. Their hearts were cold. They were sinking. They were depressed about this situation. And as Jesus Christ began to explain the Bible to them, they came alive again. They came alive again. They were filled with hope again. If we are ever lacking motivation in life, if we're ever lacking meaning, purpose, hope, whatever, what the Bible says is that it brings us back to life because it inspires us. Seventh point, we believe the Bible is a weapon. 
The Bible calls itself in Ephesians chapter 6, it calls itself a sword. It says that we can use this sword as a weapon. Now, the Bible was actually the favorite weapon of Jesus Christ. Anytime he was locked in a serious battle, he always pulled out the Bible and used it as a sword. Think about when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he's out in the desert, right? He's at a weakened condition. Along comes the devil, the father of lies, we're told, comes along the devil and says, hey, starts to tempt him. Starts to say, look at this, you should do that, all this kind of stuff he's saying to him. What does Jesus do? What does he turn to to fight that off? He says, it is written in the Bible. Hits him with that. The devil comes back, hits him with something, and Jesus jabs him again with the Bible, says it's written. Three times Jesus jabs him until finally the devil goes away. When Jesus was hanging on the cross and he was suffering in that agony and pain, what does he turn to? What weapon does he grab a hold of? Grabs a hold of the Bible once again. The final words of Jesus Christ, right before he dies on the cross, what does he turn to? He turns to his favorite weapon of choice over and over again. He turns to the Bible and he quotes it. And we need to learn something from that. Anytime we're stuck in a difficult spot, no matter how difficult that spot is, what's the first thing that you turn to? I think the example that Christ is trying to get to us is that the first thing that we should turn to whenever we're in a difficult spot is this right here. Because this is the thing that's going to be our weapon that will help us fight off whatever is fighting against us. Final point, everybody, is this. We believe the Bible is powerful. It's powerful. Now, I love this. Jeremiah 23. You know what it says? This is a big hammer. This is like, if you want to do some serious hammering, you pick up this thing, right? This is not for pounding little tiny nails. And I'm not much of a handyman, okay? But uh, if I'm pounding like big nails or something, then I'm going to grab a hold of a hammer like this. This is a, this is a man's hammer. This isn't a woman's hammer. Not to, not to, that doesn't mean anything. I'm just saying. Saying. I just wanted to wake you up. That's all I want to do. This is a serious hammer here. I mean, this, this got some pounds on the top of this thing is what I'm trying to say to you. It's a serious hammer. And what is really cool that you read in the Bible in Jeremiah 23, it says God's word is like a hammer that smashes rocks to pieces. How many of us got problems in our lives that are big as boulders? I mean, whether we're, you know, feeling hopeless about a situation or we got a relationship problem or we're, we're seeking to find direction from God on something in our life, we need an answer to prayer or we need healing or we need hope, we need guidance, we need direction, we need power or strength, whatever it might be, how many of us need to pick up the hammer of God's Word and hammer away at the boulders and crush them? And that is what the Bible says that it is. It's a hammer that we can pick up at any time and begin to crush the problems that fight us in our lives. So for those guys, those disciples who were on the road to Emmaus that Jesus come up alongside of and who were so hopeless, they were so hopeless and they didn't know what to do. What did Jesus do with them? How did he restore hope to them? He took the hammer of God's word and he crushed that hopelessness that was there. You think about in 2 Timothy, when Paul's writing, he says, you know, God's, ha God's hammer of the scripture. When you need direction, you don't know what to do. You don't know which way to turn, right or left. I don't know how many of you have ever been in a spot like that, but I found myself in that spot far too many times in my life. I didn't know which way to go. Stop, go, right, left. God says that that point of indecision, that you can take the hammer of his word and begin to just crush whatever lack of clarity that you might be suffering with. When you need help, hope, healing, strength, that we can use the hammer of God's word. I just got to tell you personally, any time in my own life, 
any time in my own life that I've committed myself to like seriously reading, studying, meditating upon the Bible, without fail, here's what happens to me. I feel alive again. If I was lacking hope, I feel hopeful again. If I felt bound up in some way, I felt free again. That's what it did to me. It was as if everybody, God was literally breathing into me as I studied the scripture. It was like CPR for my soul. CPR for my soul. That's what it felt like when I really began to study the word of God. Now, okay. We're done. I'm going to tell you one last thing. I challenge the prayer team. In keeping with the boot camp theme of challenge, here's what I challenge the prayer team with this morning. You know how we have the prayer team every now and then. They'll be up front here and they'll pray for people. Pray for, you know, whatever you're facing. Whether it's a big problem, a small problem, doesn't matter. And pray for us who, who need prayer like I do all the time. And this is what I challenge with. I say, okay, it's wonderful that we just, you know, pray our own thoughts. What's, you know, what, but let's do this today. What if we asked people to come up and said, you know, whatever you need, whatever you're praying about, whether you need direction, you need an answer to prayer, you need hope, you need healing, you need help, you got a relationship thing going on, you got a friend that's going through a hard time, whatever it is, what if instead of we praying our own words, what if we prayed scripture over people? What if, what if we took out the hammer of Scripture, and when people came forward today, we just read the Scripture over top of them? We just said, okay, you're praying about this issue? Okay, I got, I got a Scripture about that. And boom, we hit it with the hammer. Like, crushed whatever that problem was. That's what we're going to do this morning. They've risen, they have risen to the challenge. They put together a bunch of Scriptures. And so during the last song here this morning, and the team comes up here in just a second, and we turn out the lights and we all stand up, you want to be prayed over with the scriptures? You want, to, you want to take a hammer and just hammer away at your problems? That's exactly what they are going to do. During the last song, or you want to come after the song's over, this is what we're going to do. Does that make sense? Okay, excellent. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, God, uh, for, for your word, which we've talked about all today. And I'm sure hoping that it stirred up all kinds of stuff in those of us here. And uh, I hope we get some wonderful questions that we can respond to next week. Uh, Lord, here's what I want to pray about now as we conclude. I want to pray for probably almost all of us in this room who have some kind of rock, whether it's a pebble or a boulder in our life that needs to be crushed. God, I pray that this morning you would crush it with your word. Whether we come up and get prayed for by the prayer team or not, doesn't matter. God, I pray that you would crush whatever it is that stands in the way of your best in our lives. God, give us your best and crush it with your hammer. Bless us, Lord. We thank you. We thank you for your love and your patience that you have for us. In Christ's holy name, amen.